session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolokin. I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. No calls today because I'm on Instagram Live, but you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. The shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Again, our studio number, you can call in on Wednesday's show, 310 before I get into the book of the week for this week, uh, or for last week's book that I'll talk about tonight, the book for this week is Why Trust Science by Naomi Oreskes. Why Trust Science by Naomi Oreskes. Uh, um, I saw this book a few weeks ago, and especially with everything going on right now related to coronavirus and people um, talking about treatments and vaccines and things of that sort. I thought this would be an interesting book. Of course, it came out before all of this was going on, but I thought it'd be interesting to read a book about science and what's going on related to how we look at science. And as the title suggests, why trust science? So looking forward to reading that and sharing it with you next week on Monday's show. Uh, This past week's book of the week, The Life You Can Save by Peter Singer, the Life You Can Save, How to Do Your Part to End World Poverty. And uh, this was a book that I just started reading the introduction and I was like, okay, this is going to have uh, an impact on me because it was pretty clear to me based on what he was saying, Peter Singer, the author, that it would be hard to read this book and not be impacted by it. And uh, definitely that was the case. And I recommend everyone to read this book because I think it's hard to read it without it shifting the way you look at your life, the way you look at how you spend your money and what you can do and what you should do with the money that you do have. I came across Peter Singer's book when I was looking up some books related to uh, vegan eating or the, the uh, morality or ethics related to being vegan, and I saw Peter Singer's name, but then saw this book of his and thought I had to read it. I'm so glad I did. So again, that's The Life You Can Save by Peter Singer, How to Do Your Part to End World Poverty. And so let me read you uh, this kind of story that is early in the book, starting the chapter, Saving a Child. On your way to work, you pass a small pond. On hot days, children sometimes play in the pond, which is only about knee-deep. The weather is cool today, though, and the hour is early, so you're surprised to see a child splashing about in the pond. As you get closer, you see that it is a very young child, just a toddler, who is flailing about, unable to stay upright or walk out of the pond. You look for the parents or babysitter, but there's no one else around. The child is unable to keep her head above water for more than a few seconds at a time. If you don't wade in and pull her out, she seems likely to drown. Wading in is easy and safe, but you will ruin the new shoes you bought only a few days ago and get your suit wet and muddy. By the time you hand the child over to someone responsible for her and change your clothes, you'll be late for work. What should you do? And so in this example, we see that there's a a young child 
in a pond, and essentially they're going to die unless we do something about it. And the price we pay is something. You might ruin your shoes and your suit, which I kind of like that, or you might probably wouldn't even ruin them. You probably can wash them, but let's just say you ruin them. And I like that um, analogy because we'll get to that later. But surely all of us think when you're hearing that, if you walked by and saw a child was drowning, uh, we have to do something about it. And if you don't do anything about it, you'd feel horrible. You'd feel like you're a bad person. We'd call someone a bad person if they did nothing for a drowning child that they walked by, right? We would all think that and we think that of ourselves. And I'm sure if you hear that story that I just shared, you would think, of course, I would do something. I wouldn't think twice about my shoes getting ruined. I feel like in today's day and age, the most important thing is people might throw their phone out so they don't ruin their phone. But even obviously with that, you jump in and save the child. It seems like a no-brainer. But the reason why this analogy is so important for us to think about is that every day, essentially, we are doing this. We can be doing more to help children, people who are dying, but we usually do nothing or do very little or for most of us, and I can definitely speak for myself, I can be doing more than I do. And that's the reality. There are these children who are drowning, essentially, or dying from preventable causes, and we could do something about it, yet most days, most of the time, we don't do anything, and even when we do, it's probably much less than we can do. And so in a way, that's the premise of this book, The Life You Can Save is realizing that there is much more that we can do. And not only that we can do, but that he makes the moral argument that we should do or that we ought to do. Uh, how can we explain, really, to do something for ourselves or to spend money on luxury that would otherwise save someone's life or prevent them from going blind, um, as, as one of the charities that is brought up in the book. And so... It really does hit you pretty deep, and that's what I felt reading this book was, gosh, there's so much more I can do, or really I do virtually nothing in this sense uh, from for helping people around the world. People are suffering. And he does also get into, of course, from the moral and philosophy side of things, but the psychological side of why we might not do anything. Um, and that's important to keep in mind. But it's hard to read this book and not get a sense of, if you want to call it guilt, there definitely is some guilt. And even sometimes you get embarrassed or ashamed of how little we are doing. Again, we have to keep in mind that we can do something to help these people who are suffering, and yet most days we do nothing. Now, of course, there is this part where people sometimes say, well, it doesn't matter if other people are suffering. And he does get into that, and it's hard to convince someone that other people's lives are important and significant and that you should do something about it. Uh, and I think most people really, again, in that example of the child drowning, if they could, I don't think anyone would think it's the right thing to do to walk by that child. So this is a way we try to make ourselves feel better about not doing anything. We also know that when someone is far away and we can't see them, that affects things as well. So he talks about that, the identifiable victim. When you can see the child that is drowning, have an interaction with them, you want to do something. If I tell you about a child who is 
not doing well somewhere far away, you might get sad. And then if I tell you there's thousands or millions of them, you likely will feel overwhelmed and not want to do anything. This is one of those paradoxes that we see when you tell people one child is starving, people will want to get them food. If you tell them millions are starving, they might get overwhelmed and actually do less, which seems paradoxical. If one child suffering is bad, a million suffering should be incredibly more worse than that, yet we'll do less when there is so many children suffering. And one of the reasons is something he talks about futility or this feeling we have that if we can't solve a problem, we don't want to do anything about it. In some ways, the way I think about it is that if we can't solve something because we know it'll hurt for us to think about it as it's unsolved, we'd rather not think about it at all. Or we get so overwhelmed that we think it's better not to think about it or think that I can do anything about that problem. But we don't want to get sucked into that. As he talks about in the book, there might be aspects of human psychology that might push us towards not helping, not doing anything to save the lives of others who might be far away or that we'll never see. But we want to resist those if we really think about them. And usually we will. If we think, I can save someone's life, what's the difference between someone I can see or I have an idea of who that is or someone who is far away? If you believe that that human life deserves to be saved, you should do something about it. But unfortunately, very often, we don't want to help because we think we can't solve the problem. And this is the same thing we even see with things like racism in America. People want to do something about it, hopefully, as many people do. But we can feel overwhelmed by, well, what do I do? How can I solve something that's been going on for hundreds of years? What can I even do? Or how can I expect or anticipate that I can make a positive impact? And you want to focus on the impact, not on solving it. You are not going to solve racism in the United States by yourself, but you want to make sure that in your life you do everything you can to contribute to making things better in that regard, that you either have a choice to have a positive impact or no impact or even a negative impact, and you want to make sure you do everything you can in a positive way. So we have to try to reframe some of these mindsets that come up of the problem is too big, let me do nothing. In essence, this is a book that I was reading you're not going to write the whole book. Just write your page or even if it's your word in the book that is about solving these issues. That's all you really can do. He even shared some research uh, that found if you're told you can save a higher percentage of people, you're more likely to get involved, even though in some cases it means you'll save less people as far as the mindset goes. So if we say out of 10 people, you're going to be able to save nine of them, you might want to donate your money to that. But if I say out of a million people, or let's say whatever, a thousand people, you can save a hundred of them, which would just be 10%, that feeling of the percentage being less and so many people not being helped might make you not want to help at all. So I think the book did a very good job of walking through, as he put it, some of the arguments people have to not help, to not get involved in, in doing something to save a life, to donate money to... Um, those who are less fortunate, those who are suffering around the world, and in a way unpacking each one to get you to see that whatever it is you're thinking, probably it'll still make sense at the end for you to do something, to donate some money. The book is, again, The Life You Can Save by Peter Singer. And you can go on Google or go, you know, go online and check The Life You Can Save because he has uh, on that organization's website several charities that you can donate to, which are part of this movement called effective altruism. 
um, which is about making sure the money or we give or the way we're giving has a positive impact because that's very important. And one of the reasons why people often don't donate money is because we think, well, what difference does it make? Also, charities, we think they might not actually, um, maybe they're crooked, but even if they're not crooked, we might think they're inefficient. There's a lot of bureaucracy. And so we don't want to donate money because we think, what's the difference? I can donate $100, but how much of it actually gets to the kids or gets to the people who are suffering? So people have done the research and done the hard work in trying to understand which charities help or which organizations help in what way. Uh, and it's very important to take a look at that. It does make sense that you're concerned about your money and how it is being spent and if it's really having the biggest impact. And not only that, one of the things that people usually do when it comes to evaluating a charity is they look at the costs, the administrative costs, which of course does make sense if a organization is spending and wasting money on the administrative costs or paying salaries that are, let's say, too much. You might not feel good about that. But really what you want to focus on is not just how much they're spending on administrative costs, but how much do the dollars you're donating have a positive impact? So a charity might spend very little on, on administrative costs, which looks good, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're having a big positive impact. They might not be using the money as effectively, whereas another organization might spend more on certain administrative costs, but is having a more positive impact. So when they're evaluating these organizations, these charities, that's what they're trying to focus on is what's the impact? If you donate, how much does it take to save a life essentially is some of the ways you can look at it. If you're donating, for example, for malaria nets, I think the organization he, he mentions is against malaria, then you can see how much it costs essentially to save a life. And that gives you some a different mindset of, of what you're doing and, and how you're donating money. So uh, I think the book does a great job of, of looking at what are some of our objections. We probably think it doesn't have an impact. We think uh, the money might be wasted. Another one is that governments should do something, and absolutely they should. The governments need to get involved and provide more foreign aid. Uh, there is a lot of foreign aid that's provided, and if you look at the numbers, sometimes it looks really high, but as he talks about in the book, sometimes that's because it's being used in ways that aren't so helpful or it's related to military expenditures not necessarily just giving aid to help people. And so you have to be aware of that when you look at those numbers. Now, um, another interesting part for me in the book, something I mentioned on last Wednesday's show, was when it comes to giving, we can sometimes, I can say myself, have this mixed feeling about talking about the money we give or the way we donate things. So, of course, we have this mindset of humility, which I think is very important. It even talks about the biblical verse where um, let the right hand not know what the left hand does or vice versa, whatever it is, but essentially that you are so humble in your giving that you're not even looking at the attention or the recognition from yourself of doing something good, that you're just doing the good deed, which I think is very important to have that mindset. He also, though, talks about how important it is to talk about giving because it could create a culture of giving or expectations of giving. Uh, if everyone spends money on certain things, we kind of get used to it. For example, let's say an engagement ring. People in the United States and many countries are used to people spending money on that and assuming it's something you do or money on the wedding or money on different aspects of life. And so we can create a similar culture of giving where it's just we talk about it like it's assumed 
we all donate uh, some portion of our money to helping others, to charities and organizations that can make a positive impact on people. And so that changed my perspective, something I'm still thinking about because uh, I still think it's something to be mindful of when you're saying how much you're giving or that you're giving to people, um, why, uh, why you're doing that. And, and the intention always for me is important. But it was interesting that he talked about that in a chapter about creating a culture of giving and how important it can be to make this something we talk about. Also about pledges. So you can join certain pledges where people will say, I'm going to donate 1%, 5%, 10% of my income. Uh, and you can calculate that in different ways, net or gross or whatever it might be. But donating some portion of your money and, and making that pledge to be continuously doing that. And so he gets into that, how much people can donate and should donate. And he lands on a number. He first gives some numbers that are higher, but he says, what if everyone gave just 5% uh, people who can above a, a min, median per, income um, gave 5% of their income to charities. And then he talks about if the world were to do things like this, um, and he shares some numbers, an article from The Economist said, I believe it was about $65 billion would be needed to get everyone out of extreme poverty in the world. And so if everyone were to give a few percent of their money and some people who have more giving more, we could easily reach that number of $65 billion a year and eradicate world poverty in, 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 our, in, in this year, in, in our lifetime. And the amount of lives that would be saved, you know, he's talking about how there's reports that come out that are positive that it used to be, let's say, 12 million children that were dying before the age of five, and now it's 6 million or 6 point something million. And we're so happy about this progress, which is good when we think of the millions of lives saved every year. But what about the millions of lives that are still being lost each year that are being lost from preventable causes, things that we can actually do something about? I often talk on this show about how history looks back on different time periods and can judge the period of that time uh, for what they were doing. So we look back on slavery and can't believe that people did that. We can look at, at different times in history. And I think in the present time, we'll look back on things like the way we treat animals, but also how people are dying from preventable causes that people will look back and say they had things like vitamin A to prevent people from going blind, but yet thousands, I don't know the exact number of people every year were going blind because they didn't have access to these things. And so we are responsible for that. And I think that's what this book was about, was kind of a wake-up call for me. And, and I, I need to, of course, process it, and, process it and see how I'm going to implement it in my life. But a wake-up call that we all can and should do more and that we all will actually recognize that it's right for us to do more and wrong for us not to do anything. And so in talking about it, I hope you will think about it. Look at different organizations you can donate to and get involved with. Again, the book is called The Life You Can Save by Peter Singer. But you can also go online, Google The Life You Can Save, and you'll go to their website, and it'll share very easy ways for you to donate money and to see that that money will have a positive impact in people's lives, even saving lives. And we're getting it to a commercial break, but I'll continue on this topic about giving after the break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulak. We will be right back. Welcome back. So in the first segment, talked about the book, The Life You Can Save by Peter Singer. I really, really recommend this book. During the commercial break, I was talking to uh, the viewers, listeners on Instagram, 
about it a bit more, but really it's a book that I think you will be happy that you read and with maybe some mixed feelings because if you read the book, you will have to do something about it, which I think obviously is good. I think one of the reasons why people don't want to read a book like this, think about these things that are going on, is because it makes us have to act. I actually talked about on the show about two weeks ago now that I was thinking about my own experience eating animal products, that it probably is a morally bad thing to do, or the way we treat animals is clearly morally wrong, uh, but that it was something I was avoiding thinking about because I knew if I did think about it hard enough, I would probably come to that conclusion and have to make a change that might be uncomfortable. And so, um, but then I made that change. And so now it's been just over a week that I've been vegan and still researching and learning a lot about it, but it felt like the right thing to do to minimize at least the, the negative impact that I was having on the treatment of animals. And so similarly, we can't ignore the suffering that's going on in the world. When I say millions of kids are dying, um, we can't be okay with that. And I know that sounds even cliche and dramatic. We hear things like that all the time, that people, kids are dying and we kind of almost get used to it, which is sad actually that we can get used to it, but it's something that we can't ignore. And when we think about giving, you know, he even talks about this standard of giving first. It's really an aspirational thing that really everyone, if we think of it in a moral way, that we should help other people. And if other people are suffering, that we should care about that. Then essentially the argument he makes is that we should all give, everyone should give up until the point where it would significantly have a negative impact on them, which really means in essence, living a very basic life, um, uh, to, you know, minimally using the expenses that we can and giving the rest away. And people in the book make those kind of pledges. They really have that mindset that all the lives in the world matter as much as my life, my comfort. And so I can't just be comfortable with having money myself and ignoring the suffering. If I know someone is dying, just like I said, we walk by that drowning child, I can't just walk by. And so he even shares stories in the book of people who do things like anonymously donate a kidney, which is quite remarkable. You know, usually when you hear these stories, it's someone has, uh, you know, the need for a kidney transplant and a family member heroically sacrifices to have that surgery. And that really is a beautiful thing when that happens. But rarely does it happen. I think I heard in his talk, he said one to 200 people do it a year, maybe, where someone anonymously just donates their kidney. So human beings, we can live on one kidney alone. And you can potentially have some complications and things that could have some effect, but usually it doesn't if you only have one kidney. And then so some people who need that kidney to survive, there's people that will anonymously donate their kidney, even some that said they read this book. And after the fact, they emailed him and said, this is what I just did. Quite remarkable to think that people can act so selflessly to give their kidney to someone they don't even know. But really in just thinking about it to them, they said it made sense. If it, it can uh, make my life okay, but it can make someone else survive, how can I be okay with having both of these kidneys? Now, we might think that's extreme, and in some ways it is, but it does give you an idea of how much we might take for granted what we have. And 
that we should recognize it's not just something nice to do, but at some level it could be argued it's our responsibility to do it. Again, if you see that child drowning and you walk by because you say, I really like my shoes, I think most people would think you're a really horrible person if you didn't want to mess up your shoes by jumping in the water. Similarly, we do that. You might go buy a nice pair of shoes that could go to saving someone else. And look, uh, I'm if you're looking at me, I'm probably wearing a shirt that I can buy a cheaper shirt. Everything I have can be probably done in a simpler way to save money and then give that money away. So I'm not saying this as someone who's lived their life in this way, but presenting this mindset that we can give much more than we do. And it might not be as bad as we think. And that's something else that came up in the book is that when you give, you actually feel good. There is that old adage of it's better to give than to receive. And I really liked how I remember the first time it was explained to me in a way that I got something out of that thinking was from Eric Fromm's book, The Art of Loving, where he talked about it's better to give than to receive, not because giving is more painful. That's sometimes how we think of it. Well, it's a sacrifice to give, so it's more noble to give. It means I'm a better person. But as he talks about in that book, and I'm definitely paraphrasing, but essentially that when you give, it's not because it's more painful, but in giving, I actually feel my own vitality, my own strength, my own goodness when I get to give. It's not because it hurts more. It actually feels good. And this is what most people experience when they give. And I'm sure you've experienced that yourself, that when you give to someone a gift, give money, donate some something to someone, rarely do you feel bad. Almost never will you feel bad and you will feel better about it. You'll feel good about yourself, feel good about the action that you have done. And so um, in this book, I think it's important when you read it, and I hope you will read it, and even if you don't, that you think about how much you can give. And it's something I'm looking at, thinking about my own expenses, how much I give right now, which really is nothing compared to how much I can give when you look at it in, in the perspective of this book, and how much more I can give and want to give. And also, as I said, will I be talking about it? I'm not sure yet, but I do want to um, share it with listeners and people because I think, and friends and family, because I think it can have a positive impact in making it more likely that they give. So as always, the intention matters. If you want to tell people you're giving so that they tell you you're a great person and they trust you and they do all these things, that's the wrong intention. And of course, we all like that feeling. But if your intention of telling other people is really because you want uh, other people to be encouraged to give, that's a very different mindset. And I hope people will, will have that mindset, that you share it with your loved ones, not as a, hey, look at me, I'm so great. More like, hey, look, I did this, it felt great, and I think you can do it, it'll feel great, and also you'll help people, and that's wonderful. Now, a point about this aspect of giving where people, sometimes people will say, well, nothing is selfless. Because even I'm saying when you give, it makes you feel good. So then it's not selfless because you're doing it to feel good. And in a way, that's true in that when you give, you do feel good. And that could be what's driving you. But that doesn't mean it's selfish or equal to, let's say, taking from someone. So we can't just say because it could give you a good feeling when you give. That means it's selfish and you, you shouldn't do anything. That doesn't, to me, make sense. We want to look at 
what we're doing and evaluate how good it is. Hopefully we do anything that feels good. You shouldn't do something that hurts you. This actually goes back to what I was just saying, where sometimes we think giving is better than receiving because it should hurt. But I don't think it needs to hurt when you give in the sense that you don't like it. But we can evaluate what someone's doing based on how good that action is in helping others as well. And if it feels good to them, well, that's great. I don't think anyone feels bad when I, um, for example, let's say do tutoring. Of course, I'm giving my time, but I feel good. I don't feel bad when I leave that I feel good about the experience. I feel good about the experience. If you donate money to an organization, I'm sure you're going to feel wonderful. And if you find out this might have saved four people's lives, you should feel great. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. There's this mindset that feeling good is somehow bad in some weird way. But no, if you feel good about that, you should. A lot of times our feelings are guiding us towards good behavior. You feel guilt when you do something bad. That's a healthy emotion telling you that you did something that isn't right, that doesn't feel good to you, literally doesn't feel good. And without guilt, you'd be essentially a sociopath or a psychopath. It's actually good to be have those feelings that will guide us in some way or give us some idea of what we're doing. And he talked about this, I think, in the talk, but maybe in the book as well. You want to use your heart, your feelings, and your head because sometimes our feelings can make us not want to help or to push us in directions that aren't good if we actually think about it. But so we would need to use our feelings and our head to decide what to do. But having this mindset of giving to me is very important. And not only having that mindset of giving, having the mindset that living a good life means giving. Very often in most countries, we have this idea that if you make a lot of money, what you get makes you successful. And if you close your eyes and imagine someone successful, usually you think of someone rich and famous. They're powerful because they have money, they have uh, you know, a lot of fame and attention. That's usually how we measure success, especially in a country like the United States, what I get. But what I always try to put forward is we have to flip that on its head. You are successful based on what you give, how much you give, the positive impact you give, the love even you give to loved ones and people around you. We have to switch that on its head, that what you give makes you successful, not what you get. And even with that mindset, it shifts your perspective. So I try to keep this in mind that if I'm trying to build myself up in whatever way it is, in my intellectual capacity, in my financial capacity, in whatever it is, physical capacity, that should be strength that I'm going to use to help other people, to give to other people. So I, I read the books. I definitely get something out of it. So again, there's that selfishness in that part of it. But I try to keep this in mind that it's going to help me give hopefully something better to people who listen or even to my clients that I work with. There's more that I can give with that. Or if we're making money, we very often think I'm going to make money to have all these things and for people to look at me a certain way and give me some kind of attention. But I think if we shift that mindset to think I'm going to make money, I want to be comfortable, but then I want to be able to help so many people and make such a positive impact on the world with what I then have earned, what I get. So it's not mine to get, it's mine to give. That's a very different mindset. And actually, people will very often feel more motivated. You'll see people who, for example, have a child and all of a sudden they're much more motivated in their work because now they're working not just for themselves, they're working for someone else, especially someone who is dependent 
on them. So that's also going to be very motivating. And just that mindset of feeling like someone else is going to benefit from my work actually makes us work even harder. So some people pledge, for example, 1%, 5%, 10% of what they make. And so imagine then in some way you're thinking, well, the more I work or the better I work, the more money I make, the more lives I'll also be saving, which is quite incredible. So hopefully we can recognize there's much more that we can give than we already do. And I hope if you're listening to me, you'll take some concrete steps, go to the life you can save online and find an organization that means something to you and give some money. If you can, take it a step further, make a pledge, make that pledge officially to whoever means something to you that you think will keep you accountable. Maybe even ask them if they'll make a pledge with you to give something, if it's 1%, 5%, whatever, um, that they can give. And take some steps to doing something to help other people. You know, you'll very rarely regret it, or I can say pretty clearly, I don't like to use always and never so much, but you'll never regret giving money to save someone's life. And you can do it now. Almost anyone who's listening to this can do it now. Even in the book early on, who's saying if you have a bottle of water next to you, probably that means you have enough money to give to people because there's tap water that you could probably drink safely in your city that would be okay. So um, we probably all have more that we can give. And I hope we all will think about that. I myself am going to be reflecting more on what you can give. And, and the title of the book is very powerful, The Life You Can Save. We're not just talking about, oh, it's nice to give. We're talking about literally life and death, uh, or at least having huge impacts on people's lives, depending on the organization you, you contribute to. So I hope people will take that seriously. Let's go to the last commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So today talking about the book, The Life You Can Save. And um, as I started this book, I mentioned this at the start of the show. I was like, oh, this is going to have a big impact on me. And I hope, actually, I should say, I hope it does, because I hope that I won't just read the book and be like, that was a good book, interesting topic and ideas, and leave it at that. I really am going to make sure that I do something about it. And even in a way, this is like a pledge talking to you, the listener, that I will make sure that this book has an impact on my actions and my behavior going forward, that I can do a lot more than I already do. And just carrying over what I was saying in the last segment about giving and how we want to build ourselves up to give more. And it, it strikes me because I sometimes look at when we, when we think of life, very often people think, you know what, you should become powerful because then people will do what you want. Uh, or you should be powerful because then people will give to you more or will have to listen to you. And so it really is the way we usually think of things is that you get power to get more. You get power, people will give you what you want, they'll listen to you, you can pay people to do what you want. And unfortunately, it's very often the mindset we have is that getting power is a way of getting people to do what you want. Rather than, I would really hope that people recognize that what we hopefully will do is we get power and power doesn't mean in this negative way of overpowering people, but get strength, maybe is a better word, to then use it in positive ways. And even the book, he shares examples of people that would go back and study something. Uh, or in his talk, I think he was talking about, oh, someone says, okay, if I study 
finance. I could go have a big impact on micro loans or something that would help people in developing countries. Or if I study medicine, I can have a big impact on people by the treatments and then also fighting for uh, certain treatments to get to certain people and things like that. And so I would hope that people, again, have that mindset rather than what am I going to get, but how much more can I give when I build myself up? And this also means taking care of ourselves. And there is that balance. He shares some stories of people in the book where you can recognize they might be losing some of that balance. At least I felt that sense in taking care of themselves. So we always have to take care of ourselves first which we deserve. We should love ourselves and take care of ourselves. But also when you take care of yourself better, it's so you can give more. So the cliched example, but I think it is telling us something, is that if you're on a plane, um, something that most of us are not experiencing these days, even if you were before because of the pandemic, you know, they tell you the safety briefing. And one of the things they always say is that in case of an emergency or if there's a change in airflow, the oxygen masks will, will be deployed. And they always say, if you're with a child, and we've probably heard it so many times you're used to it, they say, put it on yourself first before you put it on your child. And so I always have this image of someone who is so uh, giving, but in the way that might not be the healthiest way, in kind of the martyr type of a way, that they don't take care of themselves. And they think, as soon as those, as those masks deploy, I'm going to run around and save so many people. By, by putting the masks on them. And so we think this is such a uh, selfless thing to do. But if you, know, you did that, you might get to a few people, but eventually you're going to pass out. You only helped a few people. And interestingly, if you do that, now you've passed out and everyone has to now help you. And this is what we sometimes see with people that might have the giving spirit, but it might be coming from the wrong place or they might not have that balance of taking care of themselves, that they give so much that they can only help so many people because they become weaker from that and they don't take care of themselves. So eventually people have to take care of them. And you see this a lot in families, especially in Iranian families where someone just gives, gives to the point of exhaustion and they collapse and now everyone has to take care of them. And so not only did you help less people by not taking care of yourself and making yourself stronger, but now you've become someone who needs the help and takes away from everyone else doing what they were doing. But if you're in that same plane, if you put the oxygen mask on yourself, now you're breathing okay, you can take care of the whole plane if you needed to. You will be okay, you're going to survive, and so you'll be able to take care of everyone. So on one hand, we want to make sure we, at a basic level, take care of ourselves. First, because we deserve it. We deserve that self-love to take care of ourselves and be okay. But additionally, when we take care of ourselves and build ourselves up, we can use that strength to help other people. When you are working hard to work on your skill, your craft, whatever it might be, you can then use that skill to help other people. And that's something that we all need to do. Now, I also wanted to say, so in this book, really the focus was primarily on giving money. And I hope everyone listening takes a hard look at how much they give. Uh, I hope you'll read the book because it'll probably address some of the objections you might have, some of which I had things like, well, does it really make a difference? The charities are not effective. Oh, you know, if you give to charities, maybe it helps in a way that isn't good for development. You need the countries to do something themselves, the governments to do something. And there's truth to a lot of those things. But at the same time, it doesn't mean your impact won't really literally change lives. But I had a lot of these concerns too. 
uh, that I kept me from maybe donating as much, along with just probably not wanting to face it because it was an uncomfortable truth to realize I need to do more, I can do more. And so the book talks about financially how you probably can give more than you are right now, and I hope that you definitely will, and I doubt you will regret it. But I also want to mention giving your time. Now, uh, in today's day with the pandemic, it is hard to give your time in the same ways that you did before. For example, I've been very fortunate to volunteer with an organization called School on Wheels here in Los Angeles that provides tutoring and academic services for children who are experiencing homelessness. And I used to go see a group of kids, usually 20 to 30 plus kids on, on Skid Row at their learning center there on Skid Row. But since March, because of the pandemic, they have closed the learning center and, and there is no in-person tutoring. Lately, I've been able to do online tutoring where I've been matched up with one uh, child and that's been going really well, a teenager, and really enjoying our, our tutoring sessions together. But it has been harder to, to give time the same way that I did before in that way or the experience is very different. So I know we're in a unique time now, but of course, there's lots of ways you can still volunteer. Actually, here on Instagram, I, I saw one of the comments, I believe, that someone was saying uh, food banks need volunteers. And so I, that's very true. So a lot of um, cities here in the United States will have food banks and they need volunteers to help them in distributing the foods. So if you are you know, thinking of a way to volunteer your time, that is one way that you can volunteer your time. But I did want to emphasize the importance of giving your time to people as well. And this is another one of those win-wins. As I was saying, giving money will feel good to you as you help people. But giving your time has a different impact, I think, both on you and the individual. To begin with, love, as uh, it's in the book, um, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck, if I'm saying his name right. But he talks about how, um, or maybe it's F. Scott Peck, some letter Scott Peck. Uh, he talks about how love is time and attention. And I think that's very true that, you know, you think about family members, you think of friends, if they tell you, I love you, but they never give you any of their time, you don't really believe it. It doesn't really feel genuine. When we love people, we give them our time, we give them our attention. And so one of the most loving things we can do for someone is to give them our time. And so that's why I like volunteering in ways that actually are not just about money. I think it's wonderful. And this book does a great job of outlining how impactful your money can be to literally save lives. Again, I can't emphasize that enough. So I hope everyone will do that. And this isn't a but. And I hope you will also find ways that you can give of your time. Now, if you're a professional, that might mean donating some time. Let's say as a lawyer, you might donate time to people who can't afford it as a medical doctor. And there's so many people I know who do that. They donate their, their time as doctors, dentists, either in the United States or around the world to help people using their craft. And again, this is what I'm talking about. You go study, you go learn something that can help people, and then you build up yourself. That strength is then used to go help uh, others in impactful ways. The more you know, the more you become um, strong in that way, the more you can impact them. If you don't know, you know, let's say you care about people's teeth, but you never have studied dentistry, there's very little you can do. I guess you can donate some money to them, but you're not going to be able to do the same thing as someone who studied dentistry can now go into, let's say, a low-income area and provide 
free dental care to those people. But um, so you can do that in professional ways, but also when I tutor children, for example, I'm sure, of course, I use some of my knowledge and expertise as a psychologist, let's say, but really I'm just more someone who's interacting with the kids. And so I hope you will think of how you can give some of your time to volunteering in some way, giving your time. It does a few things. One is to the recipients, again, showing that time and attention is the strongest way or one of the best ways to show love. Even for me, when I go, I was going weekly and was very happy to do so and very fortunate to do so. One of the things I had in mind is that by showing up each week, it was sending a message to the kids. Of course, I wasn't declaring it, but just by that action that you matter to me. That's why I'm coming every week. It's an unspoken way of showing that love that I'm here because you matter. And so when we give our time to people, when you show up for people, that does give them this feeling of being cared for, for being loved. So that's one aspect of it that I think is really important. Um, Also, it makes you closer to the issue at hand, which I think is important. As the book talked about, when problems feel and are far away, it can make us feel more disconnected. It's just part of human nature. Now, being human nature doesn't mean we can't help even with this. It just means it's something we have to be aware of and might have to overcome or override in a way that when we are far away from something, we feel less connected and that way less empathic and less likely to want to help. But when we give our time to an organization or give our time to helping people in some way, you are then connected to them in a more intimate way and it makes you more aware and connected to the problem. And you've seen this very often. Someone will say, I went and volunteered and did this, and because of what I saw, I then started an organization doing that. Or I became aware of this problem, and because they saw it and they felt it, that they they then started some movement to then make a positive change. So we know that when we get more closely connected to something, we actually see it with our own eyes. It has a very different experience and impact on us. So I think it's important to also have that aspect of it. And then also from a selfish perspective, we know that actually volunteering your time uh, can be a great buffer or benefit to your mental health. There's been a lot of research showing this, and even in the book it talked about that on top of um, being beneficial. When you look at, for example, the elderly, when they volunteer, sometimes not only do they do better as far as well-being or their mental health, they even live longer. And this makes sense to me because when you um, are giving of yourself, in a way it gives you a reason to live. It makes you feel alive. And very often we think of our loved ones, we think we love them so much, just let them sit at home and relax because we love them. They've worked hard their whole life. We shouldn't ask them to do anything. And yes, you definitely want to take care of them and make sure if they don't want to do anything, they don't have to. But we shouldn't take away their ability to give in some way, even if it's some of their time, even if it's of doing something to help others for an hour or two a week. I think even research showed that when elderly people had a plant to take care of, sometimes they lived longer because they felt they had something to take care of. They felt like they were giving in some way. And so um, this, of course, is for the elderly as far far as even increasing longevity. But for all of us, it improves our mental health. Even it can be looked at as a, I don't want to say full treatment, but one aspect of treating depression When you're depressed, you're turned inward in a negative way. Negative thoughts about the self, feeling isolated, feeling uh, negative 
towards yourself. But when you then give to others or give your time to others, it forces you to look outward, to look at the world in a positive way. And also you see, again, your own vitality and strength and being able to help others so that you can change the way you look at yourself. So it's actually, it can sound funny that someone's like, I'm feeling so bad and feeling, you know, low and feeling low energy, low about myself. And you're saying for me to go help someone else. But amazingly, it's actually one of the best ways to get out of that state is to get out of yourself and to help other people, to shift your focus in this negative inward focus to this positive outward focus. So I just wanted to make some final thoughts and remarks about definitely give your money because you more than likely have money that you can give. And not only can it have some impact, it can literally save lives. But I hope you'll also find ways to give of your time as well to both benefit yourself and those that you're giving to. But that does bring us to the end of tonight's show. A big thank you to Amir in the studio as always for a Monday night show. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.